Boom, and we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with Dr. Bear Paul Lando up on the beautiful Smith River and stormy time up here in Del Norte County as we're in the middle of a pretty heavy winter storm. Uh, we lost power here yesterday, so fingers crossed the show goes smoothly today. I have a feeling it will. And uh, of course, Bear Lando, you're over there off grid, so you don't have to worry about losing power, I guess, unless uh, the storm takes out your solar. But yesterday, yeah, around this time, we lost power, <laughs> and it was uh, it was actually a lot of fun for the kids here because they homeschool right now, and um, well, they'll be homeschooling for the foreseeable future. So when they lose power, it's uh, candles and books and uh, board games, and uh, they were really having a blast with that. But today we're going to. Uh, which we could use right now, we're going to go into the topic of light and the science of light and everything that has to do with it. Uh, and this is a, a topic that's really near to, to Dr. Lando and to my heart as uh, passionate fans of Walter Russell, who uh, last night I was just telling Jacob before the show, I was reading again, uh, The Secret of Light and uh, getting inspired for today. So we can touch a little bit about Walter and his uh, his whole uh, cosmogony of light, but Jacob is uh, is is just such a special person because he uh, is uh, through his books taken these concepts and really allowed for the Western mind to really understand the science of light and how it really works and how it can help us and how it really is everything. So uh, let's get into it. Um, uh, just a couple points of business uh, for those who have been asking about. Um, uh, the uh, the reunion summit. We are about to launch the reunion summit uh, registration page that will launch in a uh, in about a week, and that uh, we have officially uh, announced that summit will be on Spring Equinox, March twentieth. Dr. Lando is featured in it. Uh, Andrew Kaufman, Kelly Brogan, Sayer G, uh, so many of the amazing people we've had on AlphaCast. We are really excited about that summit. That will be a free seven day summit, so keep an eye out for that. And uh, I know we've been talking about this for months, Bear, but we are very close at, at launching the GoFundMe for uh, the next step of Alpha Vedic. Many, many people have been asking about when can we um, expect to see that and help you guys out so that we can get this commercial building up on the land and really uh, uh, allow for Bear to have his lab up and uh, get into the spagyrics and everything we want to do um, and uh, also allow us to have a, a, a little bigger staff on site so that we can um, really kind of go next level and, and get you guys the products that you're, you're asking for. Uh, if you are new to Alpha, uh, to Alpha Vedic and AlphaCast, you can find out more about us on our website at alphavedic.com where we sell our, uh, all of our products that we make on site at the off-grid farm. Uh, that is a, a wonderful way to support us uh, as well as uh, joining the co-op, which can currently be done at patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. Um, and as we talk about light today, you'll notice I'm wearing the new blue blockers from Raw Optics. Um, I am loving these. Uh, Bear, you have a pair as well, I believe. I don't know if you've gotten yours yet. And actually, Jacob was just telling us that he's very familiar with this company, and he has them as well. 
So uh, that's wonderful. These are the daytime blue blockers and I'm loving them. Uh, so for someone who works in software and is in front of a computer way too much, um, these are uh, extremely important for me for, uh, for blocking the blue light. And we can maybe touch a little bit about that today. Um, but if you, if you are interested, um, you can get 10% off through Alphavedic if you go to alphavedic.com forward slash blue blockers. And uh, let's fire up the show. Uh, Jacob Lieberman has managed to unravel the secrets of light and offer them to the world as a source of transformation and healing. And that's from Bruce Lipton, who we are big fans of. Um, Dr. Jacob Israel Liber uh, Lieberman is a pioneer in the fields of light, vision, and consciousness, and the author of Luminous Life, How the Science of Light Unlocks the Art of Living, Light, Medicine of the Future, and Take Off Your Glasses and See. Uh, as well as Wisdom from an Empty Mind. Uh, originally trained as an optometrist and vision scientist, his life changed in 1976 after the miraculous healing of his own eyesight, leading him to a deeper understanding of light and the science of life. Having helped countless individuals recover their eyesight, he began to understand the words of Jonathan Swift. Real vision is the ability to see the invisible. A recipient of the H.R. Spittler Award for his groundbreaking contributions to the field of phototherapy, Dr. Lieberman is the inventor of the VizFlex Color Receptivity Trainer, Spectral Receptivity System 1, 2, and 3, and iPort Vision Training System, the first FDA-cleared medical device that significantly improves overall visual performance. He is on the board of directors of the International Light Association and is a faculty member of the Institute for Scientific Exploration. Jacob also serves on the advisory board of the Institute for Science, Spirituality, and Sustainability, as well as NeuroHealth SBC, working together with other distinguished experts to develop an informational platform for documenting integrative medicine. An internationally respected public speaker and recipient of the 2019 International Light Association's Francis McManaman Award for Achievement in Light Medicine, Dr. Lieberman shares his scientific and spiritual discoveries about light as the divine spark that guides our life's journey, entwining us with the unseen architect of all that is. He has addressed more than 2,000 live audiences worldwide and has been endorsed by award-winning artists, Hall of Fame athletes, and luminaries in science, spirituality, and medicine. His work has been featured in countless journals, television, radio, and print media, gently piercing the heart and mind with timeless principles and common sense wisdom. Libranim illuminates the seamless connection between light, vision, and consciousness, offering a whole new way of seeing and being. Wow. Amazing stuff, Dr. Lando. Um, I'll let you take it from here, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. Um, yeah, I am loving my glasses too. I'll just leave them off for the purposes of our uh, podcast here, though. Uh, Jacob, such a delight to have you here today. Uh, boy, it seems like yesterday was only, what, maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago? I don't know. What yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we were, were you living on Maui at that point? No, I, I was living, uh, I was living in Aspen, Colorado at that time. And, oh, uh, yeah. I, cause I, I think, that. I think I was at your clinic in Maui sometime in the early nineties. Um, and then I moved to Maui, uh, January 99. So I've been here 22 okay. years now. Yeah. 
And and 99 is exactly when we left because we needed to get our kids through college on the mainland. And uh, we reluctantly left. Uh, we're still planning on going back and at least wintering on Maui, you know, Beautiful. someday very soon. But, but thank you so much for being here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm glad that, that we have a little bit of history to share. You know, I was building a uh, sound and light therapy room in that clinic that you came to in one of the rooms. We had multiple rooms. We had living live in places because we had a lot of European clients. Sure. They'd come in and, you know, stay for treatment for as long as it took and that sort of thing. We had a really nice multidisciplinary staff. And in one of my rooms, because I had studied with uh, different people, uh, most notably in Europe, uh, you know, in sound and light therapies. And then your book came out, I think, was it 1990? Uh, January 91. The first book came out. Okay. So, so that came in uh, to my radar. Then uh, this was right at the time where there is uh, a, uh, an expanding hysteria about uh, being afraid of the sun because it might cause problems. And, right. you know, uh, just being in the type of integrative healthcare that I was involved with, I just uh, kind of to myself knew the opposite. I said, no, this right. is the substance of life. <laughs> and also it's, uh, you know, our source of health. And then I read your book and I said, this is fantastic. Here's an expert that is laying out all this information and really, um, you know, providing a valuable counter narrative to the to the mainstream that was trying to get us, uh, you know, from, in my opinion, afraid of life itself. And uh, so you very graciously accepted our invitation to come, uh, you know, talk at a little seminar kind of format in our downstairs lounge area. Uh, we had a great little crowd. You were extremely well received. And, uh, you know, I've kept track of you ever since. And, and you know, just recently, I've been downloading your uh, courses and doing some uh, binge listening to your to your, uh, you know, to your uh, little presentations, just such valuable information. And, and I'd really encourage anybody to go to your site. Uh, so just fantastic to have you here. Um, you. you know, if you don't mind uh, to indulge me in a little personal story, just to kind of get things sure. started off, because I know you also have great expertise in you know, not just light, but it's interaction with the eyes and all that and how it, yeah. you know, how that interaction works. So I really want you to explain that to our audience. But, you know, at one time I was a, kind of a decent baseball player and, you know, in my youth and, and my batting average started dropping and my mom was concerned, you know, my mom was uh, uh, fantastic. Uh, you know, I could bring home C's on my report card and she didn't have a problem with that. But if my batting average went down, she was a baseball nut you know, that just was unacceptable. So she took me to the eye doctor and sure enough, they found stuff and I wore glasses ever since, you know, all the way through school, college, graduate school, all that kind of thing. Uh, needed them to drive. I was really dependent on them, had to keep redoing my prescriptions as my eyes got worse and worse. And then in my fifties, um, when I moved back to the mainland, uh, I became, uh, uh, you know, involved in sun gazing and I was very intrigued by it. And I went through the whole process where I worked up to where I could very safely uh, do sun gazing for up to 45 minutes at a time. And, you know, I've done it ever since, uh, you know, faithfully ever since. And it just feels so wonderful on so many levels. Uh, and, and I, you know, you don't want to just go out there and stare at the sun. You know, you have, there's a, a, a real methodology to work up to it so you're sure. safe and, and you get the health benefits. 
But uh, a peculiar thing started happening at that point. I started using my glasses less and less. And over the years since then, you know, it's been about 20 years. I was in my 50s. Now, you know, we're in the in the 70s. And um, now I don't wear glasses at all. I can drive with them. I can uh, without them. I can see, you know, at a distance. I read fine. And and I don't even think about glasses. Right. And um I'm pretty convinced there's a number of factors involved, but it all was initiated that gradual improvement over the last 20 years with the beginning of sun gazing. So uh, maybe you can tell me if there's some kind of link to that or if uh, my eyes just started spontaneously getting better or what's up with that? Well, there's so many things that <clears throat> enter my awareness as you speak about this topic. Um, there's no way to point a finger and say, oh, it was this, it was this, it was this. Um, but what came to me very strongly is that you've seen the light, to use that <laughs> expression. And we use light until we have a direct experience which is another way of saying, aha, I see, or I see the light. And then if we're very, very fortunate and we're touched by grace as well, sometimes seeing the light <clears throat> creates a, a silent transformation where we ourselves become focal points or holographic focal points of the sun. We literally begin to radiate more light because there's less within us that is absorbing the light, reflecting the light or refracting the light. And so if you could imagine, if you had a, piece of glass that was without any imperfections. As light uh, moved through the glass, the light that went in and the light that came through would be the same. There would be no light lost, no light refracted or bent or reflected. But most glass has some imperfections in it. So the light gets bent or reflected or absorbed. And so you lose some of the light. When we get touched and see things in ways that perhaps were never seen before because we're seeing them from a different place, let's just call that at this moment there's a possibility that there's no loss of light. And when that occurs, everything becomes clear. I don't mean just optically clear, but the questions we once had are no longer questions. There's no more of a pondering about things there's just some sort of an inner knowing of things. There's an inner clarity that occurs. And I've had the same experience you had, uh, 
I wore glasses for nine and a half years up until 1976. I'm 73 years old. I have never worn a pair of glasses for anything, distance reading or anything else. And I spend all day working at computers and reading and so on. And I see very well. And it has nothing to do with my eyes. Because if you examine my eyes today, uh, I would be farsighted and have a significant amount of astigmatism, which shouldn't make it impossible for me to see clearly. And yet I do. In the past, I was nearsighted <clears throat> and had a significant amount of astigmatism, which shouldn't allow me to see clearly. But after this experience in 76, I did. I should see less now, but I don't. And I'm examined yearly, optometrist, ophthalmologist, and they all say the same thing. What's going on here? And so um, I've come to uncover a different reality of things than what belief would imprint us with. And so my whole life has uh, is all about seeking truth beyond opinion. Opinion is multifaceted. Everyone's got a point of view. But if you, if you look up the word belief in a thesaurus, it means the same as idea, thought, concept, hypothesis, theory, and so on. But if you look up the antonyms of belief, you'll see that the opposite of belief is truth. And my sense is that's the truth that, quote, sets one free. And so we speak a lot about belief these days. And we believe it's true. But what's true in the moment is often not truth in the long term. And so my sense of what you're experiencing, which I believe is the same as what I'm experiencing, is that we're no longer seeing from the physical eye or even from the mind's eye. We're seeing from something that at this moment of the conversation, we'll call its source. And that source has no point of view. And so the light is not obscured in any way or changed in any way. And for me, that's what, um, that's what can often lead to what we call optimal wellness and contentment. And that's where the seeing occurs. It's no longer a, a physical seeing, even though that has a part to do with it, but it's just an absolute knowing about something. It, it's, I'm sure what occurs when you're working with your patients and something just takes you where you need to be. Once we taste that at a significant level, 
we begin to realize, and this is going to be a bold statement, that thinking is not what we think it is. That most of what we call thinking is actually worrying and <laughs> in actuality, our systems are designed to handle all of this without any thought. And so for me, that's what my, all of my work in science and as a clinician, as a person who, like yourself, has worked with many, many tens of thousands of people, um, I realize I can only share with people what I know by heart. And what I know by heart is what is manifest in my life. And so, um, yeah, like yourself, I've come to a good place in my life. And uh, for those people that I interact with, it's an opportunity to share that with each other. And then some magic occurs and voila. Fantastic. So uh, since we're talking about light, uh, you know, we can differentiate two different types of light. One being what most of us think light to be, which is actually incandescence, which is nothing more than the two polarities resonating with each other to create that activity that's picked up by our sensory apparatus, including yeah. our eyes. But real light is stillness. And perhaps the more we get attuned on that level, we're getting information more directly right. rather than relying on our senses alone. Yeah. To know, you know uh, what you're speaking about. Um, the Bible speaks about right in the beginning, because in the Bible, it says, uh, let there be light. And of course, you immediately think, oh, the light went on. But then it said, God created the sun, moon, and stars on the fourth day. And then you realize, oh, there's two expressions of light. The one on the fourth day is our experience, which is a perceptual phenomenon called brightness. Brightness, however, is not light. Brightness we experience as brightness. <clears throat> light is actually invisible. And when I say invisible, you can never magnify it enough to see it. So it remains, it's informless, it's formless. And yet what we experience in life is form. And so that alchemical process where formlessness becomes form is really what the whole mystery uh, is about. And um, what's interesting about all this <clears throat> is because as you speak life, uh, light is this stillness, which I spoke of as formless, invisible. What's really fascinating is we are physiologically designed to directly interact with that. As an example, the photosensors in the eyes 
are designed to detect and respond to one single photon. That's the edge of quantum mechanics, which means that our physical eyes are designed to detect the formless before it is rendered into form, which means we are literally designed to respond to that which is invisible, which means that it is beyond time and beyond space. And I'm not talking theory right now. I'm talking scientific fact. Let's take that a step further. We've got maybe 100 trillion cells in the body. All of our cells have eyes. And all of those eyes are designed to detect and respond single photons. So what's happening in the environment all day long and all night long as well is that there are very subtle changes in light, not only in terms of light and darkness, but the spectrum of light changes throughout the 24 hour cycle. We have light at night. It's a reflection of sunlight, which is moonlight. We have starlight. Our entire physiology is light dependent. <clears throat> so throughout the day and throughout the night, every cell of our body is being synchronized with mother nature. That's what keeps us at oneness. And so when people think of circadian rhythms, <clears throat> they think of, <clears throat> excuse me, light and darkness. <clears throat> but the 2017 Nobel Prize was awarded to three U.S. scientists who basically discovered the molecular mechanism by which the cells of plants, animals, and humans are in relationship with the lighted environment and continually adjusting and orchestrating their physiology so we are synchronized with mother nature. In other words, the purpose of light is to bring us into a state of oneness with life. Let's take that a step further. What that essentially means is that the timing of events in our system is designed so we are continually meeting life in each moment. So you live in a place that's more rural. I'm sure you see creatures in the wild, whether they be uh, deer or bear. If you look at those creatures, as the year is, as the seasons are changing, you'll see that everything about their physiology is changing along with mother nature. So when we're going from summer to autumn to winter, uh, changes like in skin thickness, in the amount of hair, continually changing so that when you have your first snowfall and the bear wakes up the bear, the bear Landau, wakes up that morning <laughs> and there's snow on the ground, the bear doesn't say, oh my God, I forgot to get my overcoat at Macy's. The bear is absolutely ready 
Why is it ready? Because the cells are aware of what we call future before future has arrived so that we always meet in each moment in this phenomenon that we call presence that we think is a personal doing, but in actuality, it's a, uh, a congruence and coherence when the light that catches our eye and the eye meet. And there's an immediate sense of knowing and sense of directive about how to move in our life. We all think we're looking for life. Actually, life is looking for us. And so what's catching our eye is literally guiding our physical movement through space, synchronizing our physiology. All of that's happening naturally without doing anything, without intending anything, just being <clears throat> that naturally occurs. And so the idea that we could be doing more or we could be doing less is actually an illusion. It's all actually happening without us. And then we can get into things about mind and how that impacts these things and what occurs when we uncover the, the true source of the seeing, at which point mental activity gets less and less and less and less because something is not nourishing it. And we're literally guided continually, just like all of ourselves. And then um, we touch a, a wonderful place in life. And it doesn't mean that we may not get sick often or that worry may not arise or we may not have a relational thing that comes up. These are also part of the process of life. But there is a, a, a deep gratefulness, a deep gratitude, uh, uh, something that's incredibly humbling where you realize this miracle is going on. And while we directly experience it, it's not in the realm of understanding. It's just in the realm of being touched. So Jacob, um, could you describe the process for our audience where eyes not only receive light, but actually emit light and the sure. significance of that? The eye is a gateway. The pupil, that black spot, that opening, in the center of the iris is a portal. <clears throat> that portal allows the flow of light coming in from the cosmos and it allows a transmittance of light from the inner domain. And most of us see it as a one-way street but it's a continual interaction. <clears throat> and, 
And when we are in optimal health, our body stores light and there's minimal loss or use of light, which essentially means that, uh, that we are functioning at optimal economy. I remember uh, a couple of years ago when I was uh, doing the book tour on Luminous Life and I was speaking at the, I was invited to speak at the University of Economy uh, in the Czech Republic. And um, I don't plan any of my talks. <laughs> when I was introduced, the first thing that came to me is, what am I doing here? What, why is it that they invited me to the University of Economy? And then it dawned on me, well, economy is the fingerprint of the universe. Everything in this universe is designed to function at optimal economy, which means you invest nothing and you receive everything. There's no loss of energy. And so when we look at the movement of the planets around the sun and the solar system, the change in the seasons, the change in the tides, you realize there's no one out there pushing these things. They're just happening. And then you look at the internal domain of the body and you realize the, the heart pumps by itself. It speeds up when it has to, it slows down when it has to. Our metabolism is continually functioning on its own. Our blood pressure is adjusting all by itself. The inner domain is in a continual inseparable relationship with what we call the environment. Although we are the environment, we're not just part of it. <clears throat> and so, When we uncover this something that can't be spoken about easily, maybe we'll get into that, we begin to experience something about optimal economy where minimal energy creates maximal response and the battery is always charged. So we know that the body communicates internally through the exchange of biophotons. Well, when the body is functioning optimally, there's literally no or very minimal loss of biophotons. It's only when there's a crack in the system that there's an escape or a loss of light. And so our battery runs down. So the body stores light. What's interesting is, and one of the things that I've been very intrigued with, is how each of us respond uniquely to the different portions of the light spectrum that we perceive as color. Um, many years ago, I was invited by a man who passed away, but he is the modern day father of biophotons, a man named Fritz Popp. And Fritz invited me to his laboratory in Germany. We spent a few days together. 
And I was sharing with him that I discovered that most everyone seems to have a preference emotionally and even physiologically for certain colors and less of a preference for others. And my work is about um, helping them to broaden their receptivity to the entire spectrum of energy and all of its components. And he got this big smile on his face. And I, I said to him, what is it? He says, I've never heard anyone speaking about that except me, meaning himself. And he said, I discovered the same thing about cells. When cells are, are in an optimal state of wellness, they respond to all the different wavelengths of light identically. But when they're out of balance, they like this and dislike that, which is, of course, what we see in our own lives. People say all the time, um, I don't believe that. I choose this versus this. And it's always a versus one or the other. When that receptivity expands, and once again, we're able to receive the full spectrum of light. What I find that occurs is we become receptive to the full spectrum of life as well. And while we are good at discerning what naturally resonates and what naturally does not, that can occur without a state of againstness. For instance, uh, a lot of times we hear today, well, if something disturbs you, keep going there until you get adjusted to it or whatever. It's sort of like saying if you brush up against poison oak and you get this terrible rash, if you keep going back there, eventually you won't have an allergic reaction. But you can also notice something that your reaction to poison oak isn't a problem, it's a fact. There's something there that's not doesn't resonate. And so when you see poison oak in the forest, you just walk a few feet away from it. You don't have to hate it or love it. You just notice that it's a fact. And so I know we're speaking about light and life and interchangeably, but at the end of the day, we're all in this for the same thing. We'd love to be healthy and we'd love to be as content as possible. And so ultimately, whether you're a scientist or a mystic or a physician or a chiropractor, it doesn't make any difference. That's what we're all seeking at the end of the day. And that is what's intriguing to me at this particular time of my life. Yeah, go Fantastic. to the go to the light. It's that simple, right? It's like um, well, you don't even have to go to it. Um, it comes to you. It draws <laughs> it draws you in. You know, we all have a night light, maybe uh, or a light on our porch. Sometimes at night, maybe not out in the country, but most places have a little light outside, and you notice that all of the insects are attracted to this light. There's a reason that plants 
orient themselves for optimal light absorption. Animals do exactly the same thing and so do humans um, because our system runs on light. The reason we have photovoltaic systems is because they're a direct extension of what our own body is doing. And so there is something that naturally is inseparable from what we call light. Yeah, I have a question, uh, yeah. Jacob, in regards to the plant analogy. You know how some plants are shade loving, some yes. are more um, direct sun. Yes. Uh, in relation to that, are some humans, depending on maybe it's their uh, emotional balance or literally their personality type, if you want to get into the Enneagram, if you're aware of that kind of technology, are some humans more shade loving and sure. some, some more... Um, direct sure. light. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong. Yes, you can get these anomalies <clears throat> because maybe something is out of balance. But what I've come to see in my life is that there is an infinite uh, number of expressions of our humanity. <clears throat> and um, each of us have a different nature. If you go out in, in the environment, you'll see that there are trees that are very tall and erect. There are trees that are much shorter and broader. Some trees grow up, some trees grow out. Some have very uh, short uh, root bundles. Some, their roots go out very far. Some are familial, some you see just on their own. Some bear fruit, some bear flowers, some have thorns. You can't get too close to them. That's pretty much just like people or even creatures in the world. And so um, absolutely we see these things in each other. And the reason I say that they're part of nature is that we have a tendency to look at things that are different from ourselves and see them as problematic. And what I've come to see in uh, what I said many years ago is do we really change or do we just become more accepting of who we've always been? And I'm sure if Bear looks at his photographs in first grade, he probably noticed that nothing about him has changed. He's a bit taller, his hair looks different, but the sparkle in his eyes has never changed because that which is animating us, that just is like that still light that you spoke about. And so, yes, it's, it's natural. Some of us seem to be uh, more active later at night and some of us seem to get to bed by nine o'clock and that just is what is for us. It can also change at different times of life when I was younger, very often I was out half the night. I go to bed at nine o'clock. I wake up around five every day, you know, and that's the rhythm right now. And in accepting that which is occurring in my life right now, rather than seeing it as a problem that requires fixing, it allows something to be at ease 
and then to allow whatever needs to to change to change naturally within me. And so, so much of my work these days, uh, I basically, the only thing that I do with individuals these days is uh, I mentor a small number of people uh, how they find me, I don't know because I don't advertise my services or anything. And it's just a, a small number of individuals that want to spend some time uh, with someone that, that has some sense of something that's of interest to them. And so it's not a doctor-patient relationship. It's just two people of the same height meeting it at a time of life where they both have been brought together and hold each other's hand for a short period of time during the journey. And the essence, because people say, well, well, what do you do in this relationship? And I say nothing because I realize that, that love is the answer regardless the question that that if we are authentically and organically brought together, it is because we are resonating. And when that resonance occurs on a limbic level, <clears throat> the emotional centers of our brain, it not only brings us together, but while we're not looking, that frequency of wellness that brings us together is literally balancing each other's physiology. Because most of our physiology does not occur in isolation. It is a function of our relational dynamics. And so the limbic resonance that brings us together and catalyzes a process of, uh, of biological regulation also then triggers a much deeper understanding of this thing we call love, where there's limbic transformation. And it's a very interesting state because we often hear this word enlightenment or awakening and people think, oh, you have to study with a guru in India or wear robes or meditate for X number of years or, eat or don't eat or you know do yoga for and all of these things are beautiful and just from my own direct experience it's not of those things it's something that happens when we fall in love with life yes just as when we fall in love with each other and Bear has been with Deb for a long time because I remember her well. And what occurs when we're in that state is we seem to forget all of our problems. Oh, my back was hurting me, but I'm in this deep place with this other person. I'm no longer aware of the pain in my back or I'm no longer aware of the fact that an hour before I had concerns about finances or something else. And so while we're not looking, when resonance brings us together, it literally lifts us not only into a state of unity, but into a place where 
It's not about problems and solutions. It's just about seeing. And so I'm not even sure how we got into this place, but my work is really about the fact I no longer see people as problems that require fixing, nor do I see myself in this way. And so when people come, I see so much of themselves in me, either in my presence or in earlier times in my life. And without doing anything, we both come into a greater place of acceptance. And some of that I, I, I do, uh, I work with color in a very specific way that I have found that helps that process. So I give them that, but it's all about acceptance. And when that acceptance occurs, the problems seemingly disappear, often on their own. And, um, and that does not exclude all of the therapeutic things that we offer to people. It doesn't exclude that maybe at some point we may need a surgical procedure, or we may need an antibiotic, or we may need Arnica. Whatever it is, we have a very big toolbox and we have a toolbox because different things require different kinds of solutions. So that what I'm speaking about is not in opposition to any of that. It's just another portion in the spectrum of reality that actually allows all of that to actually become even more effective. Yeah, well said, well said. You know, early on in my career, I thought, uh, achievements in, in medicine would come with the more skill sets you could cram into your brain. Right. And um, I came to realize later on that the real attraction, you know, of people that would come to see me was a matter of resonance. So there's sure. my energy field that would be the reason why they would come see me versus you or right. somebody else. And, and then that resonance, that compatibility was that, you know, the real catalyst that made all of the other things you know how to do in the outer right. actually have some efficacy. And, you know, uh, I'm glad you brought up uh, about the personalities of plants because, you know, as a farmer these days, which is what I spend most of my time doing, uh, every plant and and mostly herbology is what I'm involved with. And that's what mm -hmm. we, you know, grow medicinal herbs. Every herb has a very precise and unique character or personality. Yeah. So when I practice herbology these days, uh, you know, compared to in past years, when it'd be more about thinking of chemical, you know, characteristics, right. now I'm more mixing and matching personalities to find a compatibility between the herbal life form and the human, you know, uh, and to create that um, resonance is going to achieve the balance. Uh, one other thing I want to touch on real quick. Homeopathic uh, herbology. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Beautiful. And and then and then of course you know herbology versus homeopathy versus right. spagyricism. Yeah. You're more isolating certain components along the right. energy matter continuum, depending on what level of the energy matter continuum you want to more target on the person exactly. you're working with. So they they're all wonderful tools and they're, yeah. yeah. Um, there's a level of science that I base a lot of my labs on and um, what it allows you to do is you take chemical assays, but you also can extrapolate from the chemistry into electrical vectors. And then those electrical vectors, um, you know, uh, have really allowed us to understand that our primary source of nutrition is light. Right. And in fact, it's been determined that depending on how efficient our biology is, we get at least 70% of our nutrition directly from the atmosphere, whereas the other 30% that we crudely convert from foodstuffs is then used to jumpstart our system to be more efficient in extracting what we need from the atmosphere. In fact, we had a one guest uh, some time ago who is actually a bona fide breatharian. And, uh, you know, she was talking about her experience. And to me, it doesn't stretch my imagination because I know we can exist on light. I did it. I did that. <laughs> Great. I, I did an experiment on myself <clears throat> in Australia in 1994. Uh, where I had met people who lived without eating. And I'd heard of these things, but I had never actually experienced a whole group of people that did this. And um, so in 1994, while I was living in Australia, in, uh, in Perth, Australia, I started an experiment. Uh, and the first seven days of this experiment, you don't drink, you don't eat and you don't drink either. Uh, and so I, I went through this process and <clears throat> I didn't consume any food for 63 days. And I got to directly experience that one, you can live without eating, even though I enjoy eating. So that's what I do these days uh, when it's time to eat. But it allowed me to discover some very interesting things. Uh, when my body reached its optimal weight, it stopped losing weight, even though I wasn't eating. So the concept that you'll just basically disappear over time, I think that occurs from a different mental state than one going into this with some a certain level of awareness. Um, the body literally runs on light. Food, uh, as David Bohm said, all matter is frozen light. Food is just condensed light. Uh, but you can get it directly. In fact, uh, one of the chapters uh, in Luminous Life deals specifically with scientific evidence around this particular topic that you're speaking about. So there's a lot of fantastic things that are going on. We, we spoke before about the light that enters through the eyes, which is about 98% of the light enters through the eyes 
three quarters of that has nothing to do with eyesight and vision. It's going through non-visual pathways to the brain's brain, the hypothalamus, which is controlling the pituitary, the endocrine system. It's the initiator of our stress response. It's the collecting station for information throughout the body. And that information is shared with the pineal, uh, which we call the regulator of regulators, which is communicating that simultaneously with the trillions of cells in the body so that all of them are continually synchronizing themselves with mother nature. So we have a the visual impact of light, which is much more than eyesight. Keep in mind, we say it caught my eye, but we never bother to say, well, what was the it? And the it is not a thing. The it is the light. It catches the attention of the eye and the eye is not moved consciously. It is moved involuntarily. So the eye reflexively moves toward that which has called it the light. Keep in mind, that's the same light the Bible refers to as God. That's the same light that spiritualists refer to as consciousness. That's the same light that quantum mechanics refers to as the ground of reality, the energy from which everything arises. The eye reflexively moves towards the light. And the moment that that connection is made, we experience presence. And that's where the download occurs. That aha occurs in that instance. So that light essentially directs us to the next step of our life's curriculum because it moves us in a certain direction because that's the direction we need to go. Not because we think that's direction, because the navigational system of the universe, which is guiding it all, is guiding us along with everything else. And it does it in such a way so that there's never a traffic jam. It, there's just the miraculousness to it that we have no understanding about. So there's the optical pathway. Then there's the non-optical pathway which deals with the whole metabolic system, with their circadian rhythms, which I just spoke of a moment ago. But then there's this other incredible effect. 50% of the energy of the sun is in the red and near infrared portion of the spectrum. And essentially what happens there is sunlight triggers the mitochondria or engine of our cells and it jumpstarts them to create energy, ATP, which is the energy that cells use for everything. What we didn't realize is that the final step in that process of creation of energy requires red or near infrared light to trigger. And why that's important is that the ability of our cells to regenerate to repair themselves, to do everything that they do is directly light dependent. And so when light interacts with the skin, 
there's a network effect that occurs. It literally starts traveling at the speed of light everywhere throughout the body and causing a jump start in all of our cells that gives us energy. Now, because of that, they're now using red and near infrared light in a science called photobiomodulation, the way light modulates biology. And they're using it to treat just about everything from cognitive decline, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's to macular degeneration, diabetic retinopathy, eyesight, uh, glaucoma. If you put one of these light sources against your kidney, you can jumpstart the kidney to function more efficiently than it has often eliminating the need for dialysis. But if you, it's incredibly effective for issues, visual issues that we had no treatment for before, or certainly not in, in a treatment that was not intrusive. And that occurs because the retina of the eye has the highest concentration of mitochondria in the body because the eyes run on light so you can use light in an incredible number of ways to effectuate uh, improvements in biology because you know you've become a farmer which is what i'm hearing you say is you're outdoors a lot you're working with the land well you know prior to 1900 90 to 95% of the population in the US spent their days outdoors. Now 95 to 99% spent their days indoors. So we are very light deprived, most of us. And so we're not only deprived of the visible spectrum, the ultraviolet spectrum, but also the near infrared spectrum as well. So this light deprivation or malillumination, like malnutrition, does not allow us to even take advantage of the best possible food that we might be consuming because everything we imbibe has an, uh, a maximum wavelength absorption characteristic, which means you eat a food, what triggers the metabolic process to break it down so it can be used is a certain portion of the light spectrum. And so if the light is not interacting with the skin, with the eyes and so on, um, sooner or later we will experience some sort of problems. So we need to spend more time outdoors. Yeah. Fresh air, fresh light, and so on. Something that I do continually and my home is all windows. So, uh, yeah, so some things about... It's so simple, light. right, Jacob? I mean, it's like... It's, uh, it's, it's incredibly simple. That's what's so powerful about this. This costs no money. Right. I, I mean, we have so many people right now with the lockdowns going on with 
uh, the COVID stuff. Um, I have family members that myself who are, uh, haven't left the house in a year out of fear. And yeah. th- oftentimes we hear, well, it's the vitamin D deficiency, right? It's like are uh, always trying to go to the, the particle materialism, uh, you know, foundation of, you know, deficiency versus right. just understanding. Yeah. Okay. It's good to supplement vitamin D if that's going to make you feel sure. better about being inside all day long, but step outside, even if it's, um, cloudy in winter right. time right now, as you explained yeah. before the call, you're still getting the light through the clouds. Absolutely. You're still getting all those frequencies. And we're really, what we're talking about is these informational fields coming from source itself, right? That is right. the waveform of frequency of vibration that we are interfacing with if we could really see what light is really doing all around us and all the the frequencies of light this would be a a crazy matrix all around us of frequency but if we're not out there getting the light which right and you mentioned air air is light air is just another form of light right so get outside people it's not that complicated um, but that is a, a, an empowering thing. And I think one of the most empowering messages today that I'm getting you from you, Jacob, which is oh, we like to believe you you've, you've talked a lot about belief and we like to base our beliefs on what we can touch, what we can feel, what we can smell those senses. And all of that is light. What we're right. touching is variations of the density of the light. Right. right. And so it's, What's so powerful is that if we can wrap our minds around what light is, we can, in, we can engage our belief in such a broader spectrum because we're all connected. We're all in the same light field. And I love how you say, like, my presence affects other people's presence around me. Right. There's a direct connection there. But if we can just open ourselves up to our true nature more in right. this interaction with light, then we can there's no reason to, to not have happiness and not, right. you know, and embrace all that and love life because it's here for us. Like we're here for that. So it's a really empowering uh, message. And the idea of being able to going back to the very beginning with the, your eyesight and with what bear has done and stuff. And I've actually had LASIK surgery, yeah. uh, which was miraculous, which right. was just like, I can now be active in the ocean without wearing contacts. Right. I mean, just life altering technology. Right. Yeah. But what I love, that's still grounded in the idea that we have to fix the mechanism and what you've been able to do and what bear has been able to do. And what I believe any human can do is go to source and, and with your belief systems understanding that the eyes are here, they're important as you've been saying, but reality and our ability to take in these informational fields is outside of the core machine of our body we can literally um, achieve that through belief and knowledge of that. We have that ability in our inner fulcrum, our central fulcrum of knowledge that we can all achieve as Walter Russell talks about through what, like, I guess is the still light of wisdom of God. Um, So my, my point of this is, is that I guess going back to your idea of illumination with your book, um, light itself is beyond what we see, as we've said, beyond the skin um, like I think of St. Paul as he's get these flashes of light of illumination and right. experiences I've had that are more mystical where I'm not, my eyes aren't even open. Right. Um, we hear of near death experiences where go to the light and it's that still they're seeing that light. So I guess my question is in your mind, 
where are we going now with the science of light and how are we, um, what, what's exciting you about this new kind of terrain that we're going into as science is really catching up with what these luminaries have known for eons. And then how can we incorporate that more to help people right now that are like in lockdown um, that are suffering right now because they're, they're not being able to get outside as much. Is that red light therapy? Is that, are there things that we can do? Or is it just as simple as understanding that you just need to get outside and, and enjoy nature and embrace what, what, this, what this realm has given us from the very beginning, which mankind has developed in? I know it's kind of a roundabout question, but we're all about solutions here. So I'm trying to, to, to really inspire, but also give people solutions so that maybe they're still trapped in these belief systems of what the current you know, what they've been currently told by their physician or by their parents or whatever. And, you know, it's a stretch for them to go to just living off light, you know, but what in your mind are some steps people can take to start embracing this more and enveloping the light more? Ultimately, ultimately, we need to uncover who we are. That's in other words, what are the final set of eyes that are experiencing this experience? But I'll lead with your little solutions and what can I do things first. First of all, if you wear glasses, wear them less. Take them off for short periods of time, especially when you're outdoors or may, maybe when you don't need them at home. Uh, just spend a little time without them, a minute here, a minute here, a minute here, a minute here, to give yourself an experience of seeing differently, number one. Number two, start taking a moment here and there to remind yourself of something that we often forget. When people meditate, uh, they discover this alternate state, if you will, if they're practiced at meditation. But then, you know, within 15 minutes of stopping the meditation, they're back on the medication of life. And so it doesn't transfer. So what I started doing years ago is I took my 20 minute meditation and I made it into 21 minute meditations. So what I suggest to people, uh, men, for instance, when they go to the bathroom, they stand up to urinate. Forget that. That's, that's ancient. Sit down from now on. When you sit in the bathroom, close your eyes. Notice that your body naturally inflates and deflates. You think that you're breathing, but you're not. Something is actually breathing you. And this fluctuation of expansion and contraction is going on in every cell, every organ, every gland, every cellular component of your body, every molecule and atom in mother nature, the earth itself is continually expanding and contracting. It is, and so is the universe. It is a measurable phenomenon. So what we experience that we call the respiratory cycle is actually our physical entrainment of the frequency of wellness, the heartbeat of the universe, if you will. 
So when you go to the bathroom, you're doing nothing else anyway. Just sit down for as long as you're there and just notice this. And in noticing this, you'll also notice that sometimes it stops. And when you notice it stops, you'll notice that you're thinking. But when the thinking stops, it starts Mm -hmm. again. So every time we think, which is our way of efforting, trying to make things happen our way, trying to orchestrate life, we stop the flow of our life's force. When we see that, there's nothing to do to fix it. The seeing of it is the fix. So it's not about doing something. It's about seeing it. It's about having an epiphany. Oh, my God. And then it changes from then. So every time you have 10 seconds, 30 seconds, close your eyes. You can even do it eyes open when you're driving. And just notice this rhythm. It's very, very subtle. But the noticing of it is curative. Number two. Obviously, in winter, this is more difficult, but get outside and begin simply by removing your clothes, not in the winter, you might get too cold, lay for one minute on your back and one minute on your belly, and every day increase it by 30 seconds or so until you get to maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes total, because your body runs on light, and you will see incredible effects when you let large portions of your body receive the light. Uh, We spoke about vitamin D. Vitamin D deficiency is associated with every major disease of civilization. Cancer, osteoporosis, diabetes, uh, heart disease, and so on and so forth. So these are very practical things that you can do. If you wear sunglasses, there's nothing wrong with wearing sunglasses but don't wear them every single time when you go outdoors. Use them when you're maybe driving into a sunset and it's excessively bright. That's a perfectly good time to use them or if you're skiing, but to put them on automatically when you go outdoors interferes with your health and wellness. So those are some little practical things. Now let's talk about what's really, really important. Can I ask one more practical thing, Jacob? What about sunblock? I think everything in moderation is of value. If we spend time outdoors every day and we allow our body to receive light, one of the effects of that is that our skin naturally thickens and protects us. And so in that case, we don't need a lot of sunscreen or any sunscreen whatsoever. But if you're indoors the whole week, and then on the weekend, you go to the beach mm-hmm. and you spend seven hours on the beach, you're probably going to do some damage because you've had too much sun at one shot. So if you use moderation, then the use of sunscreens can probably be abandoned or very much minimized, very much minimized. It's kind of like somebody who's sedentary and then tries to go run, a, uh, you know, 20, 10 miles, you're going to maybe get hurt. But Absolutely. You, you run, Absolutely. So, start a mile, so again, three miles. Yeah. So it's called common sense, which is really my brand <laughs> of science. But now let's talk about common sense and let's talk about the most important pieces. 
from the time of, first of all, realize that when we came into this world, we came in with no preferences. There's no baby that says, oh, I like this food. I don't like this food. There's no infant that comes into the world and can actually see that its mother is something separate from itself. Infants do not see any difference between what is perceived and the perceiver. In other words, we come in hardwired for oneness. It's a very important piece. So infants have no sense of uh, skin coloration differences. They have no sense of religiosity. They have no sense of food preferences. <clears throat> but then we get conditioned. Not only the conditioning that's been going on for millions of years that is passed on with the imprint of our genetics and all that. But here's a, a perfectly simple example. When we come into the world, uh, at a certain point, our mothers put diapers on us so that, you know, if in fact we have to urinate or defecate, it's protected. But when you get to a certain point, and no one knows what that point is, but we use our beliefs, we say, well, we should get toilet trained by this point. So now the moment the child starts to have a movement of digestion, the parent says, no, 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 hold on, hold on, until they put them on the seat of the toilet. And so you get the first message that you have to hold something that naturally occurs by itself. You have to hold your bowels. And then of course, when you get a little older, mom and dad say, go to the bathroom now because we're not going to be able to stop once we start driving. So you learn how to control your bowels and how to force them. Well, that's a single example of conditioning, but that goes on everywhere in our life. When you come into this world, if you're a boy, you don't get a pink blanket, you get a blue one. You get a name that's associated with males, but not with females. There's all kinds of ways in which we are conditioned from a state of being hardwired for oneness to a state of conditioning of what we call duality. And then we're led to believe that this duality, which we experience mentally in the mind, is the way we control life. I don't mind it. I have a mind of my own. A mind is a terrible thing to waste is what we used to hear as kids and so on. <laughs> you need to switch your belief system. You need to make better choices. But few people realize something. Most of us are aware at times of when there's activity going on in the mind. Most of us can actually notice chatter going on, concern going on. <clears throat> we're certainly aware when we're interacting with ourselves with this mind. But few of us realize something. The only reason we're aware of it is because we are not it. It is no different than watching your television from the couch. You may get moved by the what's going on on the screen, 
<clears throat> your heart may speed up or slow down or you may bring a smile to your face or something upset. But you don't ever believe that you're the television. <clears throat> but when it's happening somewhere that we cannot put our finger on, between that and our own conditioning, we've been led to believe that it's my mind. So we identify with the activity of the mind. And that is why the field of psychoneuroimmunoendocrinology was born. Because when you identify with the mind, the activity of the mind is instantaneously reflected in one's biology, mind-body medicine. But what happens when you don't have a point of view? And you can't get no point of view from the mind because the mind only has point of view. Now, throughout the past, wise people have spoken about this. Uh, Jesus was quoted as uh, of saying in the Gospel of, of uh, Thomas, when, the, when up is down and down is up, when the outside and the inside are the same, when you see a man as a woman and a woman as a man, then you shall enter the kingdom. In other words, when you see no differences. Uh, the great sage Sengston in the uh, Sin Sin Ming said, um, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, the world is clear and undisguised. Make the slightest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. Hmm. So many people have said this in different ways. And what they're saying is that the clarity that allows one to live life simply, as Mike said, is when one sees it from no point of view. This mechanism that is integral to our humanity, which notices all that is, it is that which not only notices the events in the outer world, the sensations of the inner physiology, the somatic changes, but is also aware of that process going on inside that minefield that we're continually walking through that which notices that doesn't speak it doesn't have a voice it only sees it is a field of awareness i call it pure awareness but most people refer to it as consciousness but they say, oh, it's my consciousness, or you need to raise your consciousness. <clears throat> consciousness is not an individualized thing. Consciousness is the ocean that is common to every thing. When the drop falls into the ocean, the drop no longer exists. <clears throat> it then becomes the ocean. When our identification, which for most of us is with our mind, our belief, 
when you begin to uncover that the only reason you are aware of what's happening in the thing that you call your mind, which is actually not yours, when you begin to notice that, after a while, the identification is more with the noticer that has no point of view than that which is being noticed. And that's when one begins to see without their eyes. Wow. And that's when one begins to recognize that life is continually guiding every single step of their life. You know, I live on Maui every year, tens of thousands of whales navigate themselves without compasses, without uh, 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 any sort of technologies. They don't have iPhones. They go from Alaska down to Maui. And for the most part, regardless of weather patterns, currents, or anything like that, and they don't have any GPSs, they travel in straight lines. And they get to where they're going, just like migrating birds. Now, a lot of that is being guided by light. Humans have the same mechanisms in their retinas that birds do that travel tens of thousands of miles on their migratory journeys without any maps. Humans have the same mechanisms in their eyes that allowed animals in Asia when the big tsunamis came to know two or three days before the tsunami arrived that something was coming. And because of that, none of the wild animals drowned in the tsunami, but 150,000 humans did. <laughs> the only animals that were killed were domesticated animals. So what I'm saying is we all have a sense of knowing or a sixth sense. You could call it a psychic sense. We're all sensitive, but not because we've developed and we've done this or that, because it's natural to us. It's part of our makeup. When we begin to uncover those bits, all these things that you're talking about begin to line up. And this last piece for me is the most important, which is what I've been speaking about, is the awareness that there's something within all of us that sees everything, knows everything, and is everywhere at the same time. That omnipotence, omniscience, and omnipresence, which is, by the way, the behavior of light and also the characteristics the Bible attributes to godliness, is alive and well, not outside of us. It is us. It is us. And it is that thing that notices, but doesn't speak, doesn't have desire. It just sees. Once we identify with that, we're on the right path. Hmm. Before that, we're yeah. also on the right path. We're just moving until we get to that place where, as my father used to say, travel the straight road. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Most of life is a circuitous route. But once that identification occurs, something becomes clear. 
not because we're intelligent, not because we're enlightened, not because of we did this or we did this or we did this. None of us know. It's just some function of the great mystery. It's just some function of grace. And uh, I'm so grateful for this time we spent together this morning. Uh, this is this is wonderful, Jacob. And, um, you know, all of these things should be so intuitive. And, and the only reason I think that they aren't is we have been, well, we've allowed ourselves to be seemingly disconnected from nature. Yeah. And these overriding patterns, you know, the more time you do spend outdoors. And Mike and I, are, you know, that's kind of our mantra on this show is get outside, disconnect. And, um, you know, nature, because it isn't judging or perceiving based on, uh, you know, encoded uh, neurology, you know, based on belief systems and conditioning, right? Uh, you know, it just is. And then that over time, the more you're out there, it does resonate. It oh, yeah. does um, kind of bring more to the surface that those innate qualities that you described that are you know, yeah. not just unique to whales, but, you know, alive right. and well in us at the, at the same time. And it, it is simple. It's a very elegant way of living. And, uh, you know, we think of civilization as all the amenities and electronics and things. And, you know, the more we have lived off grid in our situation, uh, you know, when we go into the city with those amenities to us, that is roughing it you know oh, yeah when we get back out on the land it's uh you know all of a sudden you have an ease in your being oh yeah and you have less of a tendency for your mind to just be running the show it's it's very natural just to be still and not even have to think about a meditation practice or have a mantra or some such thing uh you just uh you know, become really enmeshed with the larger patterns that, you know, we were a part of all along. So uh, your message has been so great here. And, um, you know, the, the one last comment I'd like to make about sunlight, uh, however we want to think about light is, you know, uh, described by Walter Russell again, where he um, talks about that energy coming from the sun is not just photons, it's actually right. informational fields. And right. those informational fields are like the owner manuals or the, right. the software, you know, for every life form on earth. So, you know, it's not just about vitamin D, but if we're not in the um, sun and outside being exposed to that, then we're missing out on all that information that basically tells our biology what to do in the first place. Um, yeah, marvelous discussion and uh, so great to hook up with you again. And, uh, you know, any parting comments you might have about any of the technologies that you've innovated or, or, or just uh, other information yeah, um, that you think our audience uh, would benefit from, uh, please tell us. Um, the use of color is incredibly powerful. Um, color is a perceptual phenomenon. In other words, it changes with the perceiver, which essentially means that our perception of color is our perception of a certain facet of ourselves. So the way people respond to color 
is essentially reflecting how they respond to a certain spectrum of energy within the experience of life. We say life is energy. So their response to a perceived color is their response to a certain portion of life. So when I use color and I have people just visualize color, you can do it that simply. You could notice which colors you're comfortable with and which you're not so comfortable with. There's a direct connection between the colors we're uncomfortable with and the life experiences that trigger distress in our lives. That's what catalyzed this broad topic called stress. So if we're having an allergic reaction to a certain color, we will also have an allergic reaction to certain things in our life that are vibrationally related to that color. I also find that there's a direct connection between our receptivity to each of the colors and the functioning of each of our chakras, which interestingly have a color designation because it's that vibratory rate that's energizing that chakra. So color is something we could spend the whole morning speaking about, but <clears throat> one of the things that came to me, gosh, more than 40 years ago now, is how to utilize color in a very simple way that helps our system begin to open and become more receptive to the light that's out there. As you know, even if all of us went out into the light, all of us would receive different portions of the light in different ways. And that's because we are more receptive to certain portions of the spectrum and less receptive to others. Portions of the spectrum we're less receptive to are usually associated with something within our lifetime, but more than likely within <clears throat> prior to the time of our birth that's been passed on from one generation to the next, that's something that's never quite been resolved. So most of us think, oh, I had something that happened when I was two years old. But most of what causes us to be the way we are is something that may have occurred 10 million years ago. We have no idea when it occurred, what it was. So trying to resolve that through mental means is often sort of like chasing a wild dog in a Costco parking lot going to be impossible to catch it. So what I notice is I have people exper experiment with light. I've created a very simple kit with glasses where people put on a certain pair of glasses and look out a window. They notice with through certain colors, they can breathe easily. And with others, their breathing is constricted. Well, you know from being a masterful practitioner that when we encounter stress, one of the things that immediately constricts <clears throat> is the expansion and contraction of this breathing process. So I have them experience these colors, different colors each day, not 
over time, but according to how they breathe with it. So it's very much just noticing, is the breathing easy with this or not? And then we increase that week by week in whatever way is appropriate for that person. And after a while, they get more and more comfortable with those colors and they notice that the things that used to trigger them in their everyday life are triggering them less and less. And so the, the, the catalyst that move them from a state of ease to a state of dis-ease is lessened and life becomes more level. And as that occurs, their health and wellness improve simultaneously. So color is something very beautiful um, that can be used. <clears throat> I speak about it quite a bit in the book, Luminous Life. We have a uh, a kit that I've developed that I, I I give to the people that I mentor, but it can be purchased. It's not it's not a big expensive thing, but it's another tool using light, the most subtle of homeopathic remedies, to touch very very deep places in our humanity. Fantastic. Mm. I'd like to run a quick question by you. You know, in the field of uh, biogeometry, we have radiesthesia yeah. instruments. And, um, you know, they can be calibrated along uh, a 12-point spectrum. And you can measure very accurately the predominant color quality emanating from a person's energy field. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it seems pretty consistent that everybody has one predominant quality. We don't look at it as color as seen from the eyes, but more of a qualitative right. um, yes. element. Okay. So, so now you, you know, discern a person's uh, predominant color that they're emanating. Um, what would you make out of that? I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. Because um, it could be that what is being emanated is emerging from us as an inner expression. It could be that which is being reflected and not absorbed. Mm, like um, Interesting. What, what I'm really interested in, you know, our systems are so sensitive. Everybody knows when they're comfortable and when they're not. And so just, for instance, Mike, do you have a favorite color? Yeah, my favorite color has always been blue. Blue, good. So I want you to just um, close your eyes for a second. Take your glasses off for a moment. Just close your eyes for a second. And I want you to just imagine that somewhere in front of you, at whatever distance feels comfortable, there's like a like a hemisphere, like a like a globe, or could be uh, yeah. Just there's a source of light. It doesn't. It can be any brightness that feels comfortable for you, and it's emanating red light. So you're looking at this globe of light. How does that feel for you? It just felt uh, actually really calming to me. 
Good. Now just breathe it in and begin to to breathe that color into yourself <clears throat> and tell me if anything changes, if you become more calm or if anything that you notice changes. I, um, I, I, I definitely feel calm, but I also feel a little, um, I don't know if the, the term activated is right in, in terms of happier, <laughs> I don't know, like more full. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good, good. And let's say that you could now be in the middle of that globe. You're sitting inside of it. And wherever you look, you're just in a field of red. Does that accentuate your happiness? Is there anything <clears throat> different from what you felt before? Just very calm and warm and content. Good. So that's a, a good sign because usually when people say, um, my favorite color is blue, they frequently are shying away from red or some other portion of the spectrum. So people can merely visualize the colors and see how they respond to each of them. Do they affect your heart rate? Do they affect your breathing rate? Do they affect the comfort in your body? Do they affect whether your mind becomes active or quiets down? And so I look at all those qualities and then um, I have people go through a process where they just spend a little bit of time each day with usually two colors. And the kit that I have um, has 13 altogether. And I take them through the entire spectrum. Uh, and they go through that for about 28 days and begin to report the kinds of things that surface. And then I have them use this letter of completion that I've created to help them express anything that comes up that Wait. may be something from the past. You know, what's interesting on my own journey is uh, traditionally I've always been very attracted to blue, but in the last few years, as I've become more aware of myself and, and, and um, just been more involved, I guess, with my quote unquote spirituality is um, it not, might not necessarily be my favorite color anymore. To be honest, I've kind of gravitated more towards white mm -hmm. um, and trying to wear brighter colors and actually envelop myself in brighter colors and wear those colors. So beyond white, but um, purple, violet, um, mm -hmm. big fan of the violet flame with St. Germain yeah. and all that. Uh, and so, yeah, more vibrant colors, but also um, something I do with my children. And I do this just very intuitively, and I'd love to. Uh, one, we'll put the links to all this uh, in the show notes, but I'd love to get, if you have a concrete guide towards this, the color therapies and how it relates to the individual, um, because intuitively I do this with my kids. They both have LED systems in their room. Mm -hmm. And so at night, um, our typical go-to is red. 
we do, I put when they go to bed, cause they like a nightlight, you know, they, they have nightmares still. And so I, I typically do the led red It encompasses their entire room and they, they love that. It's a softer light. It's, you know, it allows them to sleep in it. And I feel like it's healing. And then in daytime, we often go to um, the brighter colors, green and, and violet a lot. And so intuitively I, we've been playing a lot with that. So, um, uh, color is something that obviously kids love, right? We, they, we like to paint and draw and color yeah. stuff. So, and the kids love talking about their favorite color. Um, so anyways, uh, intuitively that's what we do in our house. But well, the red light, uh, it, you intuit it right on the money because the red light, if you had to have a night light, red is the best night light you could have because it interferes the least with melatonin secretion at night. In fact, it might even enhance melatonin secretion. So it's, they're using it actually to help sleep as well. And blue-violet, which is very predominant in the morning, is what literally shuts off the flow of melatonin and causes us to begin to awaken. And, improves attention and so on. So your intuition uh, is a good one. Uh, we have an interesting question from the audience here. Uh, and it's funny because this is one of my son's favorite color, even though some would say this is the antigen of color. Uh, what about embracing the color black? Uh, it's always demonized, but there uh, I find the darkness calming at times too. Absolutely. Um, uh, to me, black or darkness is nighttime. Mm -hmm. And nighttime is probably the time most of our healing occurs. It's where restoration occurs. Uh, I used uh, an example of a tree before. Part of the tree is in the light and part of the tree is under the ground in darkness. What do you think would happen if you started taking the dirt away and exposed the roots to the light? The tree would die. So just as most, most is unknown in terms of knowledge and wisdom and even how things work we have no idea. We just have changing theories. Darkness is a time of restoration. And it's a time of inner seeing. So at night, we often have dreams. And we see really clearly in those dreams. And in fact, we often see ourselves being in one place and then being at a totally different place with no time lapse which is a totally different level of awareness. It's not local, but non-local consciousness. Time and space don't occur. And yet that's all happening with the eyes closed and no light. What is it that's seeing? Well, what's seeing is that which never sleeps. So darkness is exceedingly important. That's why we all sleep part of the day. That's where the mind is less active. And that's where a lot of restoration occurs. So as equally important as the light 
is the darkness. Yeah, and science has shown too Isn't having that- an extremely dark room. Sorry, uh, Barry, just one quick note. Um, having a, like using, um, you know, dark out blinds and right. uh, is actually much better for your sleep cycle. Uh, even like uh, mm-hmm. having no flashing alarm clocks or your phone, Absolutely. Any, any of that, as dark as you can get when you're sleeping. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that that understanding wasn't lost on past cultures, you know, for instance, with the yin yang symbol right. and the, the darker yin side of the symbol, you know, exactly. always notes that nurturing restorative side. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. You guys, this has been such an, uh, an amazing conversation. Uh, the audience on the live streams are just, um, they've just been really, um, uh, a very positive tone and flow today. Everybody's just loving, uh, we were saying we could listen to you talk all day, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So, um, hey man, uh, thanks for taking this time today. If you guys, um, are, um, really enjoying this conversation, we highly recommend, uh, buying or, uh, or getting, uh, Jacob's books. Uh, you can actually see them on our book list at alphavedic.com forward slash book list. So you can support us and Jacob by getting those there and his, uh, his most recent book, which is, uh, the, uh, uh, luminous life how the science of light unlocks the art of living uh is on there and that sounds like one i gotta order i'm gonna enjoy that one uh so uh please support jacob in his work he is a godsend on on this in this realm and uh we're so happy to have had you on here today uh any final last remarks for our community before we shut this podcast down jacob just from my heart to yours I, I couldn't be more delighted. This was such a a gorgeous conversation and um, so sweet to meet you, uh, Mike. And yeah, thank you for, um, it's so nice to, to meet other travelers on the same path. Uh, it's, uh, yeah. it makes life worth, worth living. And we're talking about the, the resonance that brings certain parties together. And, and it's just such a, wonderful thing for me today, Jacob, to, you know, all these years later to kind of circle our way back around and meet up again. So uh, let's, let's stay connected, keep in touch. And um, uh, I'm for sure going to be, you know, following your work. And I'd also really encourage our audience to look at some of your downloads. And if you uh, really enjoyed Jacob's discussion today, uh, you can listen to them of just, uh, I mean, every, Every download that I'm listening, I told you earlier, I'm doing some binge listening right now with your material. Uh, there's just so many pearls in, in every single one of your audio files. So, uh, you know, besides the books, I'd, I'd really encourage people to go there. And, and thanks most again of the for audio, being with Most of the audio things are available <clears throat> on YouTube or Google or <clears throat> so, you know, you can find all kinds of things that don't cost anything and you might find something exciting there. Wonderful. And thank you you so much. And I think the biggest takeaway for me today is be the observer. Be the observer. Let go of the thinking mind a little more. Um, And some great ways to do that would be what we'd like to do, which is gardening. Um, But if you're not into gardening, get out, go for a hike, go for a walk. If you're by the beach, lucky you, go put your feet in the sand, uh, watch the waves crash and let go and observe. 
and, and hug uh, as much as possible. Yes, <laughs> we are big into hugging here. Um, hey, man, thanks so much. And I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. If you did and you're watching this on YouTube or uh, we're on library now on uh, BitChute, uh, we're uh, uh, on this. Uh, if you're into the audio version, we're on Spotify, we're on iTunes, we're anywhere uh, podcasts are. Give us a like, give us a follow, subscribe, and please share this with your family and friends. So um, that really helps us get this amazing uh, information out to more people who are, you know, we're calling 2021 the great unmasking, the great year of awakening. We really feel like uh, it's uh, going to be an extremely powerful year of this Aquarian uh, energy spreading across through the air. And um, this is a talk that really, it really <laughs> nails that, um, nails that meme. So uh, thank you guys and enjoy the rest of your day. And Jacob, you too, enjoy your island life. Life. And I know Bear and Deb and his son and sons and all of us, we love Hawaii. We, we, next time we're on in Maui, we let's try to hook up. And, Absolutely. Um, Without question. Have a grateful day, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Much love. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.